Welcome to Pocket Fiction by Steve Cook. Safe Seat, a standalone short story. David sat back in his chair and stared at the TV screen in disbelief. As result after result came in, the BBC's election coverage all-encompassing as ever, it was clear that there could be no majority government. What the hell are we going to do now? David looked through the haze of e-cig fumes towards the speaker. You, Nicky? Nothing. You're done. You lost Loughborough for us. He leaned forward and picked up his coffee mug from the table, wincing as he took a sip of the cold swill. Why are you even here, anyway? Bugger off. She shrugged, looking down at the folder of notes in front of her. I don't know. Habit, I guess. The cabinet room was unusually warm, so many bodies crammed into it. As soon as Whitney had been called, David had been whisked away back to London to watch the rest of the results come in, but what should have been a satisfying cruise to victory had become a nail-biting four-way split. David looked over at Teresa, who was fiddling around on one of the many iPads scattered over the table. Any change? She shrugged. See for yourself. David took the tablet from her and turned it round. A pie chart was on the screen, almost perfectly split into quarters. One of them was red. Too many disgruntled unions, too many photo ops in pink buses. No such thing as bad press and all that. The yellow section was depressingly large. No one had thought that Nick would be able to steal away with as many seats as he had, but the young found him refreshingly different, particularly those who hadn't been old enough to vote last time round. Then the blue quarter, too small to make a difference, but perhaps that was how he wanted it. It was the remaining chunk, a confusing mishmash of colours and sizes, that had cocked it all up. UKIP, Green, Sinn Féin, the SNP, they were just a few of the marginal parties that had stolen away so many votes. I just want to know where it all went wrong, David murmured. Could be worse, George said. The Chancellor of the Exchequer's black hair was irritatingly neat, matching his smug expression. He'd won his seat, of course, and with a firm majority. Could be like Nigel. UKIP will have a struggle to stay viable with him gone. David held his gaze for a moment, then shook his head. You know, George... I wonder sometimes if you exist just to point out the bloody obvious. Just trying to be helpful, George muttered. David smoothed down his own hair, worrying at the bald spot that his makeup artist so artfully hid each day. Bugger off then and get some more coffee, bloody sycophant. As George eased himself away from the table, David frowned. Every day he was getting more acid, less like a team player. A party needs a strong leader, he'd been told and David had taken every chance possible to play that part in public. So much so that it had become him. It had even leached into his home life. Samantha had nearly kicked him out after the incident with the cornflakes. William came over, looming out of the mists like the prow of the Titanic. When are you going to talk to him? Hmm? Oh, whenever the last results come in, I suppose. David rubbed his eyes though I can't help wanting to know what this is all about, why he's done it this way. Pulling one of the leather chairs over, William sat down. David, why do we follow his advice? It's led us from one failure to the next, and there's no real evidence that anything he says is sound. 
David shook his head. You know why, William. His threat was very clear. The future of the human race, for good or ill, rests on what he says. But we've got no proof, David. William shifted in his seat, and David wondered if the same sore points on his calves were plaguing them both. Like bed sores, but from long hours sat down. If I told you that the future of the human race depended on you being able to eat a bacon sandwich properly... Oh, for God's sake! Not the bacon sandwich again! I've damn well heard enough about Ed and his sandwich! David shook his head. Besides, bacon sandwiches didn't destroy some of our hardware last December. And he did. William backed off. There was no answer to that. Word had come in about the 17 drones and two fighters out on manoeuvres west of the Isle of Skye ten minutes after the man had made his presence known, appearing at David's dinner table. Thank God Samantha and the kids were away, David thought. Bad enough that he'd been scared witless by the sudden appearance of the middle-aged man, sat calmly in one of the dining room chairs. I've come to talk to you. To you, David. And to Nick. And Ed. Nigel. All of the self-styled leaders of this country's politics, the man had said. And then, just as calmly, he'd threatened to destroy the entire world unless his instructions were followed. And I folded. We all folded, David thought miserably. Anyone who could down jets and obliterate millions of pounds worth of top-spec military hardware at a thought wasn't just some terrorist. This was serious business. There was a little ripple of noise at the bottom end of the table. What? What's happened? David looked up as William came back over, iPad in hand. West Suffolk's come in, he was saying. Matthew's managed to hold on to it. We've crept slightly ahead. His shiny face had a feral gleam to it. We're ahead. David grabbed the iPad. Really? The little pie chart sections had shifted slightly. Sure enough, a tiny fraction of the Lib Dem slice had been eaten by pure blue. I'll be damned. We might win this after all, chaps. There were a few wry smiles around the table, and then it was back to the buzz of conversation. David dipped in and out of it, listening but not really taking it in. The economy. Defence. War. Leadership. The topics were as broad as they were pointless. It might be that none of them would be in any sort of power come tomorrow. There'd be a coalition, and it would be dictated by the man. No, wait. Michael shook his head. Never mind. We just lost Warwick. We're even again. The night wore on. The first rays of pink were touching the sky above Westminster as David placed his palm against the security station. There was a beep as his entry was confirmed, and he stepped to one side to let Ed and Nick scan in. Nick looked perky. Had he slept last night? Couldn't possibly have done. There was far too much going on. Or maybe it was just the bliss of coasting along in second place for five years, letting all the responsibility fall on the one at the top. David shuddered at the thought of another term of office, another half-decade of lying, of policy changes, compromise, secrets, on-purpose, by-accident slip-ups in speeches. There was a soft thud, and the door swung open smoothly. The vault was far below the palace, not even embedded in a wall. The very best security that money could buy, financed with the very best creative accounting that David's accountant could manage and all for one purpose, 
one man. Inside the safe was just a chair and a man, the man. His shirt was uncreased, his trousers unlined, his hair still as plastic perfect as the moment he'd appeared in David's dining room. He sat there, composed, as if the safe hadn't been completely devoid of oxygen until a moment ago. His chest wasn't even moving. His eyes opened. Thank you for joining me, he said. His voice had some sort of bass thrum to it that no real person should be able to produce. David stepped forward. We've done what you wanted. We've changed our policies to what you told us to. We released manifestos as you wrote them. But we have to know why. He looked at Ed and Nick, feeling sweat gathering under his suit jacket. You've destroyed our parties. None of us have any kind of majority. How are we supposed to run a government like this? The man smiled, then smoothly stood. David involuntarily stepped back as the man began to talk. I came to your world when there was much turmoil. You failed to learn from the lessons of the past. Your governance has been out-evolved by those you govern, and you are irrelevant. And now your voting population can see that. They don't trust you. You are all the same. Only the faces change. The man began to walk forwards and with every step David saw his face ripple. One moment it was the deep-set eyes and saggy cheeks of Ed. A step later, and it was replaced by Nick's thick hair, the wrinkles on his forehead topping his puppy-dog eyes. Then, like looking in a mirror, David saw his own face, the smoothness that long hours of beauty therapy had crafted staring back at him. And now, I'm afraid, the time of politicians has come to an end, the man said, his face reverting back to its placid normality. You will enter the safe now. David looked into the darkness of the huge metal safe. Where one chair had been, three were now stood. He looked back at the man. You can't possibly mean... Into the safe, gentlemen. To his horror, David found his feet beginning to shuffle towards the yawning mouth of the safe, completely out of his own control. What the hell? You can't do this! As he began to rail at the man, the little part of David that had learned to constantly observe his opponents realised that Nick and Ed were shouting as well, their feet inexorably dragging towards their chairs. David stilled his words and closed his eyes. As his body bent in the middle and he sat down, he opened them again. All three of them were on their chairs, most of the light blocked now by the man as he stood in the opening. You will be perfectly safe here, gentlemen, the man said, and David detected not even a hint of humour, only the slightly alien inflection. As the safe door began to swing shut of its own accord, he could help himself no more. Three voices, hysteric and panicked, rang out as the safe door hissed shut and locked itself. Outside, the man listened for a moment and nodded at the silence. Then, wearing one of the faces of the men inside the safe, he turned and walked towards the stairs. Today was going to be a busy day. <laughs>